Hi, this is Mo. And this is Sarah, and you're listening to the podcast Bird Shit. We started this podcast to share our love of birding with other enthusiastic birders in the world. Sarah, you ready for spring break? Yeah, because I get a spring break as an adult. Yeah, we're having one right now, spring break, in my bedroom, recording bird shit. And it's time for Birds Gone Wild. But really, it's more like TRL spring break because we're not that crazy. Yeah, and also that's what I spent most of my spring breaks watching. We never went anywhere. No, it was just TRL spring break in my bedroom again. But the reason that we're doing this is because we are going to be talking about birds that live in places where you would most likely go on spring break, which includes Mexico and Central and South America. Whoop, whoop. I actually think we have mostly Central America. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think some of the birds might migrate down to South America, but I think a majority of what we cover is Central America and Mexico. It's kind of like going on the bird and adventure of a lifetime, but from your own home. Yeah. So thanks to our friend Andreas, who we reached out to because he is from Costa Rica, and we reached out to him for some birds to cover. And I have to say, one of these birds that we talk about is on my life list, and I have been obsessed with it recently, so I'm excited to talk about it. Oop! And I have to say, I had not heard of any of the birds that we researched. And as a result, I did a ton of research. And now I'm super excited about all these birds. Yeah, I'm super excited about all these birds. But first, I think we have a new... What would, what should we call it? Section? Yeah, we have a new section of Bird Shit Podcast we're rolling out. You may have seen on Instagram, we've been asking for your Bird Shit stories. So we are going to talk about some listener droppings. Drip, drop. Listen to drop bins. That's the song Mo is proposing. I will be proposing a separate song later after I do some research. Too bad. You should probably propose a song right now if you, unless you want my song to win. Drip, drip, drop, drop. That's the hip hop. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> if that was what hip hop was, I would be very sad if I ever was involved with the hip hop scene and someone was like, if I had to deduce your entire genre down to one thing. <laughs> Chip, chip, drop, drop, drop. Chip, drop. Chip, drop, drop. Okay, fine. Your song wins, but whatever. So we've got this new feature section called Listener Droppings in which you guys send us audio stories or anything that you want us to read on the air about your birding stories. And so this time, to get things started, we started off with a prompt that was tell us about your bird shittiest bird shit moment. Since our podcast is called Bird Shit Podcast, we wanted to hear what kinds of bird shit experiences have you had? So our first submission comes from Aubrey. Thank you, Aubrey, for submitting this. I gotta say, this story makes me not so excited for bikini season, even though it does mean more seabirds. But I do appreciate the fact that she mentions that getting shit on is potentially good luck. This is true. That's worth noting. So if you're listening to Bird Shit Podcasts, that's almost the same as having good luck, too. Yeah. So let us know if this podcast ever gets you lucky. Just saying. Okay. Without further ado, here is Aubrey's story. Hi, Bird Shit. I'm Aubrey from Connecticut, and I wanted to tell you my Bird Shit story. When I was in college, I studied abroad in the Galapagos, and we went out on a tuna boat. And we're standing there on the tuna boat in our bikinis uh, when one of the frigate birds flying above us drops a load and it lands directly on my shoulder and boob. But um, being from a coastal adjacent environment, I know that this is good luck, but uh, it still stunk and was pretty messy. 
Mother frigate, that is ridiculous. That sucks. Yeah. Also, her photo, she sent a photo of it. It is actually quite adorable. She looked very cute with bird shit on you. I agree. Aubrey, keep rocking that bird shit shoulder. I'm way into it. We'll make sure to put that on our Instagram so everyone can check out how beautiful Aubrey looks with that beautiful bird shit on her shoulder. But, dude, props for studying abroad in the Galapagos, too. Like, that sounds awesome. Yeah. Anyway, Aubrey, thank you so much for submitting your story. We definitely appreciate hearing that. Next up, uh, we got an email from this girl named Kayla. The subject line was... 500 birds shit on me, and Sarah and I were instantly both just like, yep, this is going to be a great story. I also said it's the title of my autobiography. Yes, for sure. All right, here is Kayla's story. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Kayla, and I just wanted to share a story about a time when I was shit on by about 500 birds. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So over the summer, I worked uh, for the Canadian Wildlife Service, and... We were tasked with going to uh, birds that have that nest in colonies and going to count nests and eggs and any chicks that were there. Um, so one day we had to survey this Franklin skull colony, and f- this Franklin skull colony was in Foam Lake, Saskatchewan, and it was about ten thousand birds <laughs> um, in this colony. So we had to kayak out. It was like forty degree weather. It was awful. We kayaked out to this colony and. Um, we get out of our kayaks and we're all in waders and we have to like walk through and it's mud like up to your knees. And if you've ever heard of Franklin's gall, they kind of sound like they're just laughing at you. And as soon as we got out of the kayak, like about a hundred of them kind of came up and like got mad at us and just started screaming at us because they were obviously trying to defend their nests. Um, and we just like walk into the colony and they're constantly just raining down shit just like all over us i had to just discard the raincoat that i had brought with me because it was covered in bird shit so yeah we were out there for about three hours with just a constant flock of like 100 to 500 birds over us at all times just doing their weird laughing call it was so loud and just constantly raining down shit as we were just trying to count eggs and nests and chicks and yeah so that's that's my bird shit story it was it was quite the time um it was pretty awful uh, but the chicks were really cute and that kind of made up for it. And there were points where me and my coworker had to split up and I could always tell where he was because you could just follow the flock of birds around the marsh. Yeah, I, that, that's how I learned that birds will shit on you to defend their young. And, uh, that's my story. Anyway, thanks. Uh, I love in the podcast. It's great. Um, see ya, see ya around. That's a lot of bird shit. Like, to get rid of a raincoat. <laughs> right? I know. Who knew that Canadian gulls were so aggressive? Technically Franklin's balls, but, like, let's... Franklin's balls. Franklin... Technically Franklin's ball. Oh, that's really bad to say it was raining down drops on you. Mm, yeah, okay. But you know what I mean. They were Canadian Franklin's gulls. So I didn't know that, that they had that kind of aggression for their pooping. Sometimes shit happens, you know? Shit happens, and sometimes it happens all over your raincoat, and you have to throw it away. Boo. I also love the idea of just being able to, like, know where your friend is based on the swarms of birds that are surrounding them. At first, I thought she was going to say, because you could just hear the sound of shit pelting upon them. <laughs> and I was like, oh my god, that sounds terrible. Oh, it's a but, lot of poop. Yeah, it's a lot of poop. It's a lot of poop. 
almost as much poop as what we hear in our next story. Similar, I guess, it's sort of like a flocking situation that involves snow geese. This was submitted to us from by Felice from Vancouver, who technically submitted it via her friend Linz. Thank you to both of you for listening. And here we go. Hey, what's up, Birdshed Podcast listeners? My name is Felice, and I'm from Vancouver, Canada. And this is my Birdshed story. So the other weekend, I went to this uh, area near a wetland with my friends. And I was just, uh, you know, having a good time strolling around. And there there was a few hundreds of snow geese on the side um, in this farmer's field. And so then a few minutes later, as I was walking past them, right by them this one eagle flew over so then it meant all the snow geese started freaking out and they all took off right above my head and at first i was like oh yeah wow this is so pretty i've never seen hundreds of snow geese above my head like this is such a great picture like i i wish i could take a photo until After five seconds of that, I saw droplets about like right in front of me. And the next, in the next second, I was thinking literally shit, I better cover my head. So I already had my hood on for whatever reason. And even though it was sunny and I basically pulled my uh, hood more in front of my face and I basically stood there and kind of cocoon myself to protect myself. And then right after that, I felt this bird shit just hitting the top of my head, hitting the left side of my shoulder. And I just felt like bloop, 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 like that. <laughs> and I was not really enjoying the view anymore, you know. And then next thing you know, they just flew off towards the back, towards where my friends were. And then a few minutes later, when we got back together with my friends, my friend was counting. I was like, yeah, you got hit five times. No, no, no. Actually, it was seven times. So that's my record for Birdshed Story. Hope you enjoyed it. If you're ever near snow geese, you better watch out. Well, that's a very good lesson in why you should always have a hood while you're birding. Just always keep your head covered, no matter what. Yep, no matter what. Actually, your, your whole body. Let's just burden hazmat suits. After these stories that people submitted to us, I'm thinking that's the only way to go about it. Yeah, I'm kind of all about that now. <laughs> if people are like, what are you guys doing? We're like, oh, we're just birding. Don't mind we're us. We're just birding. Yeah, there's no toxic spell. We're just anticipating getting shit on. Now this is making me paranoid. Well, as, as we <laughs> talked about, this was a trip to a wetland that got a little bit too wet. <laughs> and that's gross. Well, we um, are happy that you guys submitted these. Thanks for submitting your your wonderful tales. And we look forward to hearing more from everyone else. Yeah, make sure you stay tuned to our Twitter and our Instagram. We will make sure to put up some new prompts and uh, hear what kinds of bird stories you guys have to share. And we are always, always happy to listen to stories about bird shit. This is true. It's time for spring break. T.R.L. on the beach in Mexico. Okay, two questions. If you were at the beach house for TRL, would you 
swim in the pool, dance on a floaty, or be at the snack bar. Uh, snack bar. Same. Have you ever tried to stand on a floaty? It's impossible. Yeah, but that's what those girls do. They just like seductively dance on the floaties. I don't do anything seductively except eat snacks. Same. I would eat all the pretzels and then probably get a really dry mouth. I was going to say, pretzels on the beach is kind of a bold move. That's what I'm bringing to TRL Live. I would just bring like a papaya and just let the juice like run down my body. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) I imagine you thinking it's sexy too and you just look like a five-year-old who just like spilled juice all over themselves. Yeah, and I like go to like touch some like bare-chested man and I'm just like my hands are all sticky with papaya juice and he's like, you're disgusting. Like, actually, I'm going to go over there. He's like, I'm going to go talk to that girl dancing on the floaty. Yeah, and that's why I never went to TRL Spring Break. Yep. Second, who would you want to see perform if you could be there? I already have my answer, Jai Rule. What? Really? Yeah. Back then, baby? Yeah, but it's kind of like, now you know what you know. Like, you still would have Jai Rule? What do I know about him? The Fire Festival? Oh, yeah. Oh. For sure. Okay, well, mine would still be Blink-182, hands down, no matter what, all the time. They're not going to be at Spring Break TRL. They would if I was there. Okay, well, I thought we were just choosing from performers that would be there. I guess I don't know who would be there. Uh, you got a lot of choices in the night. Nelly. Nelly. Let's Nelly. both say Nelly. 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 Well, I can tell you, none of these birds would probably be there, but I would want to see them still. <laughs> We'd be taking a detour just to go see the birds and be like, hey, Carson Daly, thanks, but actually birds. So, Mo, now that we are in full spring break mode, why don't you tell us about the first bird that we'd be seeing on spring break? All right. Well, even though it's not called the pool floaty build heron, I'm going to talk (laughs) about the boat build heron. So you know how like in a given group of birds, there's always like one bird in a given species that kind of feels like it doesn't belong in that group. Like it's like the weird bird. Like us at TRL Live? <laughs> yes, exactly. This bird is the us of TRL Live. What? Okay, pause. We keep saying TRL Live and that's my fault. It's already Total Request Live. So we're saying Total Request Live Live. It's like ATM machine. Yeah. Yeah. Just pointing that out for my, because my brain will not notice it. Sorry. Okay. All right. TRL Spring Break. Live. all right anyway so going back to my boat build heron so even though there are always like some weird birds and species i don't think any of them are as out of place in their species as the boat build heron so the boat build heron is gonna have a hard time trying to fit in with its other heron relatives it kind of looks like a grunge punk rocker crossed with a platypus they have short legs and squat bodies and these wide, flat black bills. It's basically not a Taylor Swift heron vibe. Like, it's not skinny and it doesn't have beautiful long legs. It's like an 80s hair vibe. Yes, exactly. However, just because it doesn't fit in does not mean that the boat bill is not a cool bird because it is a very cool bird. Its range goes from Mexico to Peru as well as into Brazil and northeastern Argentina. They are non-migratory birds that live in seasonal lagoons and they nest in mangroves. Boatbills grow to be about 54 centimeters or 21 inches long. They are pale gray to white in color and they have chestnut colored abdomens and black flanks. 
One of its most prominent features is this long black feather crest, which kind of falls on its back like a greaser's comb back hair. Like that's the only way I could think to describe it. And it's thought to be used in mate attractions when it's on males. So females also have them, but gotta say, if I was a lady boat bill, this look would totally work on me. Lady boat bills, on the other hand, are a little bit smaller, grayer, and they have shorter crests, but they pretty much look exactly the same. The courtship display between these birds is pretty ritualized, and it includes carefully coordinated bill touching and false fighting. Ooh. Mm. Tell me more. A little rough. Don't be fooled, though. It will put up a real fight if its territory is threatened, which is also uncommon among other herons. Boatbills have been seen scaring away bird species and vocalizing loudly or even lunging at approaching humans. So watch out. eBird describes the boatbill as a, quote, bizarre nocturnal heron, and we are inclined (laughs) to agree with this in the most adoring way. If you can't tell from its name, its other prominent characteristic is its wide bill that kind of looks like the underside of a boat, like a boat keel, which is how it gets its name, boat bill. And it uses this unique bill to hunt amphibians, small fish, crustaceans, insects, and small vertebrates while walking through shallow water. Since it is a dusk and early evening feeder, its eyes are huge to help it see better in low light. In fact, it has been observed that they will not feed when a light source is present, be it daylight, moonlight, or even artificial light. One study hypothesized that in order to forage for food in the dark and in shallow, muddy water, their bills are actually sensitive to touch, which helps them feel for their prey. Crazy! Kind of like ducks. Ducks have very sensitive bills. Yeah. I guess this heron is just sort of sensitive in many ways. Like, it doesn't fit in with its other heron friends, and its bill is very sensitive, so it can feel stuff, and I don't know. It's super cool. It's a really cool-looking bird, but it really does look like a platypus, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. It definitely does not look like a heron. Yeah, but that's what I envision the Sarah and Mo bird at TRL Spring Break to look like. Yeah. Only comes out at night to feed at the snack bar. (laughs) We're like raccoons. (laughs) raid the trash cans of DRL spring break we don't even get invited to the real party we just hang out outside and hope that the bouncers throw us some scraps every once in a while oh man we were obviously very cool still are all right sarah bring us to our next bird so i'm gonna switch away from herons and talk about the harpy eagle so harpy eagles range from mexico to northern argentina and they live in forested areas and they are actually the national bird of panama The harpy eagle is the largest, most powerful raptor in the Americas. Whoa. Yeah, it's super, it's giant. I will explain more. Its name refers to the harpies of Greek mythology, which are monsters in the form of a bird with a human face, and they were named this by early South American explorers. And the name comes from its striking features. The adult is dark gray above with the paler lower area and dark breastband. They have feathers atop their head that fan into a bold crest when the bird feels threatened. Their legs are as thick as a person's arms, and their talons are three to four inches long, which is the same as a grizzly bear's claw. It is one of the few diurnal, or day-hunting raptors, that actually have a facial disc, which helps contribute to its name, the harpy eagle. This is a trait that they share with owls, and the facial disc helps focus sound waves to improve the bird's hearing, a very useful feature as they hunt under the dim rainforest canopy. It's very interesting to note that we generally associate eagles and raptors with soaring birds, but rather these birds perch within the canopy and wait for their prey. 
Harpies, eagles are monogamous and may mate for life with both parents feeding the chicks for about 10 months, which I feel like is a really long time. Yeah, man, that chick is getting away with a lot. Yes. As for conservation, harpy eagles need several square miles of undisturbed forest to thrive. And since these eagles are non-migratory, they hunt within their established range continuously. Obviously, years of logging, destruction of nesting sites, poaching have eliminated a lot of this bird species. And their current threat is from hunters actually shooting them for sport. Aww. Yeah, it's super sad. It makes me really pissed off. But one source you can help contribute to or fund is the Paragon Fund. They're actually making efforts to ensure conservation continues. And they're doing zoo breeding. They're supporting zoo breeding programs, um, which is super helpful. But this is a super, super cool eagle. I highly suggest that you check it out. I know it's on my list if I ever go to South America. Yeah, I mean, it has to be on your list as a prey bird. Yep, pretty much. Any prey bird going to the top. Well, that's a cool bird. For being an eagle, it does have some really unique characteristics. Yeah, I think the facial disc is one that it's a super cool adaptation because you mostly just see it in owls. Yeah. Plus, the idea that a bird's leg is the same thickness as my arm is kind of terrifying, but pretty awesome. They're huge. They are, yeah, they're bigger than the golden eagle. Whoo! Get it, harpy. Big boys. Especially you think about it too in the rainforest and confined space, how they are able to like be so agile in the rainforest. It's kind of cool. Digging it. All right. So next up, thanks to Disney plus hashtag, not an ad, but feel free to contact us. Disney plus. I recently watched a bug's life again. (laughs) I love a bug's life. I know. I know. So this bird that I'm about to talk about seems like a really perfect fit. And if the phrase Electric blue facial skin gets you all riled up. Have we got a bird for you? Well, how'd you know? How'd you know? Those are the words. I know. I didn't watch Avatar, but that sounds like... (laughs) That basically (laughs) sounds like electric blue facial skin. All right. Anyways. So the bird I'm going to talk about is the oscillated ant bird. But before I get into that, I want to give a little bit of background on ant birds because I didn't actually know much about ant birds. And I think that it's really cool to talk about. So swarms of army ants are an important resource used by some species of ant birds, but most of the ants perform in large raiding swarms either at night or underground. There is, however, one neotropical ant species that performs raids during the day and above ground, and this is the ant species that most ant birds make use of for eating. It was once thought that attending ant birds were eating the ants, but numerous studies have shown that the ants flush insects, arthropods, and small vertebrates out for the waiting flocks of ant followers to eat. In other words, ant birds basically follow these swarms of ants around and let the ants scare up different food sources, and then they just go ahead and eat the prey. There are some ant birds that only take advantage of ant swarms opportunistically, meaning they just kind of like, if one's around, they'll like latch onto it. But the oscillated ant bird is speculated to be one of the obligate ant follower species. In other words, pretty much their entire diet comes from following ant swarms. So if these ant swarms didn't exist, they would have no way of really feeding themselves because they're so dependent on it. Well, good thing ants are strong ass motherfuckers. They'll be around forever. They take out whole towns. It's insane. They're terrifying. I I don't know. I like, I get all heebie-jeebie around ants. I just, they freak me out a little bit. Obligate ant follower visit army and nesting bivouacs in the morning to check out for raiding activities, and they tend to arrive at the swarms first. So all these opportunistic ones don't show up, but these ones that depend on ant swarms get there first. Army ants are pretty unpredictable in their movement, so it's impractical for obligate ant followers to maintain a territory that always contains a swarm to feed around. As a result, territories are 
complicated compared to other bird species. Antbirds generally maintain breeding territories, but they travel outside their territories to feed at swarms. Several antbird pairs may feed at a given swarm at one time, with the dominant pair being the pair that holds that territory that the swarm is in. In its range, the oscillated antbird is the largest of the obligate ant-following antbirds, and therefore it is dominant over other members of the family, even though at the same time, it's subordinate to other species, such as like wood creepers or motmots, which we'll get to a little bit later. So it's just weird. There's like this whole hierarchy of like how close given birds get to be to like the source of the ant swarm and like access to prey. Do you think these ants are just like, oh, they're here again. God. Dude, they have to be like, how annoying would it be as you're an ant and you're just like, I'm just trying to perform this raid and someone keeps eating all the food. Like that's so (laughs) annoying. You're like the ants think of it as a raid. Yeah, we're doing this raid and all these birds keep showing up. And I'm like, I got to do the raid. Just trying to swarm here, folks. So there, I just think it's cool that like there's like a pecking order. Yeah, it's insane. It's insane that like, yeah, that order comes out of something that another species creates. Yeah, and it's not even symbiotic at all because the ants could like give a fuck. They're just like doing their raids and in the meantime these other birds are like oh cool like that other species is doing all this work i'm just gonna eat stuff well do you think that ants have any other predators that the birds scare off i find that hard to believe i find it hard to believe too because i don't know what would dare try and fuck with an ant swarm yeah and also if a bird isn't eating ants then like what else would be eating ants like lizards i guess lizards Yeah, you got a lot of other shit that might eat them, but I don't know if the birds are necessarily scaring them off. Yeah, I don't know either. Plus, I'm pretty sure ants could take down all those animals anyway. Yeah, they definitely could. Okay, so that's the background on, like, the ant birds overall. But looking specifically at the oscillated ant bird, so as I previously mentioned, it has this swath of electric blue face skin. I want to go to Sephora and say, give me this face. Because <laughs> it I is want this face beautiful. Face. It is beautiful beautiful it's so pretty and i will say that it does pair very nicely with its black and olive feathers that have a little golden scalloped outline on it it is truly a thing of beauty and it is fairly uncommon in its honduras to western ecuador range but if you're looking for it it is pretty distinctive if you do find it it can be found in the lower strata of lowland humid forests and it will pretty much always be following an army of ants to catch its food. And compared to other more drab-looking ant species, you really can't miss it with how beautiful and colored it is. A last fun fact about the oscillated ant bird is that the pairs will mate for life, and they share nesting and feeding duties for their clutch of one to two eggs. The nest is a cup located in the ground between the buttresses of a tree, and it's usually made of twigs, vines, and leaves that are bound together in the buttress by fungal rhizomorphs. It's basically a fungus house. Aww. I know. You find that cute. I find that freaking nuts. Dude, they follow ants for a living. Like, come on. They're not going to live a normal life. They follow ants. They live in a fungus house. Mm-hmm. I don't know. This is the bird I am. That's me. Yeah, you're the fun guy in the black. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was good. That was clever. Yeah, sorry. So there's that was like my whole epic about ant birds, but dude, that's cool. I yeah, I've never heard of ant birds before. I think that's super cool. Cool. I am gonna now talk about another very pretty bird, which is the white-tipped sicklebill. So this bird is found in Costa Rica, Panama, and then in Colombia and Ecuador, and as far north as northern Peru. It's a hummingbird. 
and it has a dark green-purple color and a streaky chest marking. But what distinguishes it most from other hummingbirds is its curved bill that looks very similar to a velociraptor claw. I just pictured a dinosaur with, like, little sickle bills on its hands, just like... Oh my god, that would be so cute! No, seriously, this bird looks adorable and also stuck up and grumpy at the same time because of its curved bill. Love it. Of which, the upper bill is black and the lower bill is yellow. They're typically found in the understory of humid forests, in foothills, and on mountain slopes, and along forest borders. Sickle bills are most often seen feeding on heliconia flowers. The bill has evolved to fit perfectly into long trumpet-shaped flowers, allowing them to access nectar that many other species cannot. Additionally, these birds are hermit feeders. So a hermit feeder is a trapline feeder, and as such, they visit plants along a certain route. In this case, it's usually up to half a mile or one kilometer. This differentiates them from most other hummingbird species, which generally maintain feeding territories in areas that contain their favorite plants, and they will aggressively protect these areas. That's what I had. I seriously think you should look it up. It's a freaking adorable little hummingbird, but I really think sickle bills are cool just because of that distinct shape and that's helped them evolve over the years so they can access the nectar in those trumpet-shaped flowers. They do look super pompous. They're like, "Mm, I'm gonna go stick my bill in this trumpet flower. I know, don't they? They look so cute, but at the same time, you're like, you're that asshole at the tea party who won't talk to anyone. Yeah, with your damn pinky in the air. Mm-hmm. I was going to say pinky in the air. Also, how many tea parties have you been to in your life? Zero. I think I went to one. And it was like a grandma, granddaughter tea party. I was like six. I don't remember it. Well, you probably didn't see any white-tipped sickle bill there, but I wish you would have. Yeah, they don't really breed in church basements, so <laughs> not going to run into one there. <laughs> who, who does breed in church basements? Ah, I bet there's somebody breeding in a church basement. <laughs> Just the way you said that. Uh, uh, I can think of one person. <laughs> okay. Next up, we have the Whooping Mot Mot. I love this name. I'm sorry. I love this name. The name Mot Mot. I chose this bird for its name. Mot Mots are all considered near passerine birds, which is a term that is given to tree-dwelling birds that are related to two true passerines, but they were named at a time before we had today's taxonomy, so they kind of just got lumped in this weird thing because they're not really passerines. Anyways, we are going to focus on the most widespread familiar motmot of the lowlands of eastern Panama and northwestern South America, the whooping motmot. Given this bird's distinctive call, we definitely would have seen this bird at TRL spring break back in the day. The Whoopi Motmot is part of a blue-crowned Motmot group, and this complex can be divided into two vocal groups, songs that have either a single note or songs that have two notes. And the Whoopi Motmot is a member of the single note group. So I want to play a clip of the song because it was basically the reason that I chose this bird. What's the song like? <laughs> It's definitely like a low key whoop, but I feel like there's a lot of good energy in that whoop. So <laughs> it's probably one of my favorite bird calls that I've ever heard. Going back to the whoopie mop, let's talk a little bit more about it. 
Both male and female birds have orange bellies, blue-green wings, and a pretty gradient of feathers combining the orange and the blue feathers kind of along its back. It has a distinctive cap of dark blue feathers that stretch from the base of its beak to the back of its head, but there's a small patch of black near the top of its crown, and their red eyes are masked with a triangle-shaped wedge of black feathers. And it also has a long tail with a, quote, racket tip, so it's kind of got a unique tail shape, which is cool. The whooping motmot is endemic to the Americas, and like I mentioned, it covers a small area from central Panama, east into the lowlands of northern Colombia and northern Venezuela. Even though they're pretty big, they are hard to spot. Like most motmots, they love sitting very, very still on their favorite branch and will occasionally flick their tail side to side when they're disturbed, but they pretty much just sit there all day. They don't really do anything else. And their meals include small prey, such as insects and lizards, and they will regularly eat fruit as well. They aren't particular to a given vertical range in the forest, which is, I think, kind of unique for tropical birds. So they can be found anywhere between the understory through the canopy. And as a result of this pretty wide habitat preference and geographic distribution, conservation is not really a significant concern for the whooping martmot. But let's be real, hearing that whoop in the wild would be so cool, and that's why this bird made our list. I love this bird. Whoop. I think if people are ever like, yo, put your hands in the air, like, let's hear you, I'm just going to be like, whoop. (laughs) And then just sit there like the martmot and not just like kind of shake your butt a little. Yeah, just like... Little butt wiggle, just be like, whoop, 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 whoop. <laughs> yeah. All right. So I love the Whoopi Mot Mot. Great name. Great bird. Great call. Yeah. Uh, that's awesome. That's an awesome one. So I'm going to get really into this bird because this is one of my favorite birds. And this is the oil bird. The oil bird, also known as a gucharos, which means one who cries and laments, is the only nocturnal frugivore which is any type of herbivore or omnivore where fruit is the preferred food type. And it looks like a little tank. Also, the fact that its name is One Who Cries and Laments really fits into your goth bird theme. Oh my god, it does. Also, this is really sad. They got their name Oil Bird because they used to grind up the young ones and use them in oil and cooking. Oh, oh, I'm like equally disturbed and grossed out. Yeah, it's sad. So, but this, as I mentioned, is the only nocturnal fruit-eating bird in the world. And they look insane. They have huge eyes, a walrus-like mustache comprising 12 long bristles sweeping down from the corners of both sides of their mouth, and a large hawk-like bill, and they have white spots along their brown coloring. And like I said, they look like they have a little tank body because their feathers are so well-defined. They mostly dwell in caves, and the Gucharo Cave was Venezuela's first national monument and is the centerpiece of a national park. Colombia also has a national park named after its Cueva de los Gucharos near the southern border with Ecuador. Oil birds have been reported in various other places along the Andean mountain chain, including Ecuador and in Brazil. They're also known to dwell as far south as Bolivia. This is where I get into my shit with this bird. Get into your shit. I read this book called Bird Sense by Tim Burkhead. It's a marvelous book. I really recommend it. And they go through the senses of birds. And in one section, I think it was hearing, they detail the history of discovering how these birds navigate in dark caves, which is where they live. They exclusively live in like dark caves. Um, And which you might guess, it's through echolocation, just like bats. 
The history of the experiments, which eventually led to discovery of echolocation, is quite terrifying. Originally, they started with bats, and they would blind and deafen the bats to figure out how they got around. But the experiments with oil birds to confirm they use echolocation was much more humane. They actually would just plug their ears, which is a very reversible experiment. Thank God for science improving. I know. Oh, God. Reading this was so fucking depressing. But what they did know is that they do use echolocations because they dwell in dark caves, and that's where they live. They do not like the daylight. But a noted difference between bat echolocation and what oil birds use is that while bats use a very high-frequency pitch that we cannot hear to detect much smaller objects like the bugs they devour, oil birds will use a low-pitch frequency that humans can hear, which contributes to their name Gucharos, and they use this to navigate, thus do not have a great sense of detecting small objects, so the low frequency helps them detect where they are in the cave, but if it's a small thing, they'll most likely hit it, because their echolocation isn't that good. Womp womp. But they compensate for that with their eyesight. So the eyes of oil birds are highly adapted to nocturnal foraging. So like I said, they have really big eyes. The eyes are small, but the pupils are large, allowing the highest light-gathering capacity of any bird. Whoa. The retina is dominated by rod cells, and this is what is crazy. It's the highest density of any vertebrate eye, and they're organized in layers, which is not seen in birds, but is unique to deep-sea fish. Oh, so weird. It kind of looks like a fish, though. Yeah, so let's get this straight. This bird has whiskers like a cat which help them move around and forage for food, eyes like a deep sea fish, and lives in caves and uses echolocation like that. Wow. So it's like a mammal fish bird. This, yes, this bird is absolutely insane. And then it looks even crazier on top of that. Oil birds have so many evolutionary adaptations. I am losing my mind about this bird. Like, I will go into a cave right now and spend the night with hundreds of these birds because this, fu- this is so fucking cool. You'd be among your people. No. It has whiskers, deep sea fish eyes, and can use echolocation. How are we not freaking out about this bird? It's super cool. It's a it cool is bird. It's so cool. It is so cool. It does definitely look like a walrus, too. Like, you were yeah. totally spot on with those whiskers. Yeah. That description came from the book. I stole from the book. Ah, well, thank you, book. Thank you, Tim Burkhead. What a crazy bird. Yeah, so oil birds are super cool. They're one of my favorites. I definitely, top of my life list to see one of these guys in the wild. So I know, like, obviously this bird has, like, a lot of adaptations that have gotten it to this point in evolution. But where does it fall in terms of, like, conservation? Like, is it doing okay? Can it adapt to changes in the circumstances? Or is it kind of like, I live in a cave and I only eat fruit, so, like, don't fuck it up? It's listed as of least concern. Okay. Yeah, and they've got some pretty good areas. I mean, obviously, considering they live in caves, they have very, I would say, constricted habitats. Protecting their habitats is super important. Yeah. I know in the book, he talked about visiting a cave in Ecuador, and they were developing a road to go right by the cave. And obviously, that would definitely disturb the oil birds because they are super sensitive birds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I really like these birds. They're so cool. I hope they get a better name someday, because that's a sad name for their backstory. Oh, dude, yeah, and but Gucharos is a pretty cool name. Yeah, change it to that. That's way cooler. Yeah, it's super cool, and I think it has to do with their call, because they have, like, a squawky call. Squawky and lamenty. Squawky and lamenty call. That was the oil bird, one of my favorites, one of mine I really want to see, because it is just super cool, super cool, and they look so cute! They look so cute! Beep. 
They look like little cats. I see cats in everything, though. You do. You do. do. I'm always like, look, it looks like a cat. And everyone's like, that's a book. That doesn't look like a cat. (laughs) You're like, but it's a book with whiskers and it's meowing at me and I want to pet it. How do you not see it? It's smuggled up in my lap right now. That's what it is. This is why I would drive someone insane if I was on Wife Swap. Because I don't make sense. Is Wife Swap still on? I doubt it. What the fuck was that show? Dude, I don't know. That's so weird. It was such a dumb idea. Like, just go on a dating app for five minutes. Yeah, but they didn't exist back then. Oh, that's true. Dude, no. Wife Swap is still on. What channel is it on? Paramount Network. I don't Season even know what two. That means. Uh, came out in February. Weird. A strict mom who insists on respect from her kids swaps place with an overwhelmed mom who gets little help from her husband in raising their spoiled ass kids. Wow, each family gets twenty thousand dollars to do it. <laughs> oh, I'm going on wife swap. That's why people go on wife swap. Hell yeah, I'll do that. We hope everyone enjoyed that little spring break vacation to Central America and Mexico. In South America. And it was a really nice little, it was a little nice little vacay. What I found most fascinating in researching this episode was the variety of birds. Like, we had a heron, we had an eagle, we had a cave bird, and we had, like, a hummingbird, and we had, like, an ant bird. Like, just so many different types of birds. I don't know. There's obviously so many birds that occupy, like, these tropical zones, and they're all very specialized and super specific, but... Hopefully covering this wide range of birds gets people excited about all the different types of birds that occupy these areas. Yeah, it's nice because I feel like if I was like, I don't know, like sometimes you talk about birding, it's like, oh, there's like what I did and I went to this place and I saw this. But sometimes I'm like, I just want to know about the bird. Tell me about the bird. I want to know if I'd see this bird at TRL. I know. I feel like we should have our own TRL and invite all these birds. I don't know if any of them would come. The oil bird might come if we brought the papaya. Yeah, and also if you left papayas out, ants might swarm. Good and point. And then we'd have another one coming. And then if we start some music, the mop mop might come. Hell yeah. Whoop. And the whooping bird just be over there like whoop. 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 Yeah, that's how we're going to end this episode. We're just going to whoop it out. Whoop. 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 But before we do that, make sure you send us an email at hellobirdshit at gmail.com. Or check out our Instagram. At Birdship Podcast and find us on the Twitter, Twitter, tweet, tweet at Birdship Pod. And don't forget to send us your cool stories. We have an Instagram story that shows you how you can record an audio clip on your iPhone. It's super fast and easy. Send it to us, we'll put it on the air, and you'll be just as embarrassed as all those poor people that we already played their stories today. Yay! Yay for being embarrassed. And one final shout out to Andreas for sending us all these awesome birds of Central America. Could not have done this without him. He really pointed us in the right direction. Some super cool birds. I'm pretty sure Sarah would have talked about the oil bird no matter what, but it's good to know that you've confirmed that it's a badass bird. Whoop. In the meantime, keep your eyes to the skies. Whoop. Whoop, whoop. (laughs) 